Hi, everyone. We'll wait a few minutes until more people get a chance to come on and stuff like that. Amanda chose the topic for tonight, so it'll be on uh, kind of the back to the basics of fire. So if you've got any good articles, links, anything like that that you want to grab in the meantime just to kind of have some information or kind of key takeaways from just kind of the back to the basics of fire, I added a couple to the Facebook uh, event that Amanda shared with me, but just kind of a Heads up, something to think about as we're kind of getting ready to start in a little bit. Did you have an icebreaker, Ryan? No, I did not. All right, let me think for a second. All right. Anybody else has a good icebreaker we're chiming in on? I mean, I've got one if no one else comes up with one. Go for it. You want me to go ahead and tell you? Yeah. Or if anybody has a better idea. Um, I don't know what the idea is yet. <laughs> <laughs> since, since we're talking about the basics of um, fire, you could ask um, what the... I don't know, most impactful thing, what's the most impactful thing you've done um, that has helped you progress toward financial independence the most? Or what do you think has made the most difference on your journey to FI? Since we're talking about the big, you know. 
We can wait a couple more minutes and see if we get more people. Um, I don't know, maybe Mr. Money Mustache and like Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, those are good ones. I would agree for me. We'll just go ahead and go whenever. Um, so I read Your Money or Your Life before I read Mr. Money Mustache. So Your Money or Your Life, the, the original version of Your Money or Your Life was kind of like the first concept of financial independence that I had ever heard about or read about. So, and then like a couple of years after I read that book, I started reading Mr. Money Mustache and a few others as well. So that, I would say those two things combined were two of the most impactful things on that got us started, I guess, on our journey. I guess I can go next then, Ryan Renzi Ankeny. Um, I'm probably going to go with, uh, back in like 2000, 2001, I came across the book, The Millionaire Next Door. And I just remember picking up, I was at Kinko's and I had way too much time at Kinko's and I was kind of flipping through it thinking, there's no way in hell. This, there's no way. This doesn't even make sense. And I think that right away kind of changed uh, my mindset. Like, well, if this can be true, then, well, everything we know about this is probably not right. And then I kind of started looking for examples of that from that point on, you know, figuring 2000, 2001, where like my dad one time pointed across the street, we, uh, they live out in the country and there was a real junky house across the street with, you know, like the grove in the front yard looks like the backyard is crap everywhere. And he's like, you know, Gerald over there, he's like, he's a multimillionaire. And I'm like, what? He's like, oh no, he's super rich. Like you wouldn't believe how rich that guy is. Like old Gerald, I'm like, oh no, he is like loaded. Like, oh, okay. So there was just kind of those kinds of things that kept reinforcing that idea. And then uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I know that I came across that book and just different people talked about that book and followed that for a little bit. And then um, had a job in uh, in metrology where I had a little bit too much downtime and I, uh, while the machines were running, things like that. And uh, started just kind of looking on the internet, searching for stuff, and then started coming across a bunch of financial independence blogs Mr. Money Mustache was definitely one of the, the top ones on there. Budgets are sexy. Um, fiery, uh, fiery Millennials, actually even Amanda, that's kind of how we all kind of came together in that end of things. And like uh, Wealth Done Well, I think is called, drawing a blank now. Um, yeah, and just kind of dove into that end of things. And also knew from a lot of just financial independence books and just books on finances, even back to like Charles Givens. Um, the, the importance of just automating things, term life insurance, and just some of those foundational principles. And then just realizing that, you know, you can stretch your paradigm of, of what you think is possible. And then also, well, I want money I can save. And, you know, can I max on my 401 What comes after that? And just kind of kept moving down that journey. And then now it just kind of, came on autopilot for the most part. So then it's all the other stuff beyond that point. Sorry, long answer. Chris, do you wanna talk?
There we go. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's funny when both you rattle off books and names and things, and I'm like, yep, 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 read that, <laughs> follow that. I mean, all those things, uh, all those sources, all those people are kind of the same things I it's funny you say Charles Givens because that was probably the first financial books book I ever read, and that's, I mean that's old school. My folks had that sitting on a on a bookshelf, um, and so that's yeah, that's kind of got I think what got me interested in personal finance, and um, and I think what listening and reading and I and I used to, when I first got out of college I was in um, a couple different sales jobs which were heavily commissioned. And to keep my sanity, I would listen to motivational guys and I would go to seminars about, you know, being positive and this and that. And I think that's kind of put in my mind. I mean, if you want anything to happen in your life, don't count on the government. Don't count on your folks. Don't I mean, you've got to do it and you can do it. And I think that kind of got the, my whole mindset is like, OK, I'm the one I can control my own destiny. and um, it's 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 gonna be to my advantage to um, to to think that way and and to do these all these little steps you have to do to um, control your own destiny. So I think that's 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 definitely what put me on the path um, towards being you know fiscally responsible. Um, and I think millionaire. You, someone mentioned I don't know if it was Amanda or Ryan mentioned millionaire next door. I, when I read that, it was like perfect timing because it, it like hit home. It's like you know all these. Um, you know, it, it isn't the the uh, wealthy people you see on TV or in the movies. It's it's these people that are driving the Ford F-150s and this and that, and just been very frugal with their money. That are the ones that are actually accumulating wealth. Um, that um, they've just done being careful with their money and working hard, and so um, yeah, I get that's kind of the basis of. of of where I've where we've gotten where we we are today as far as um, this interest and and working towards um, financial in independence. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I know too. After reading that book, another thing that I, I kind of kept in the back of my eyes as I was watching for examples of it was then you start seeing it, and then you start having uh, relationships and interacting with people that you know. Like the first time I met, uh, and I realized he was a deca millionaire, and I'm sure most people would never ever expect that guy but just some old guy you know talking about his stuff my god talking about strange things like goji berries and weird stuff but you know he, he's just and then you start looking for that kind of stuff and you can start asking him for bits of advice and um then you realize yeah all these foundational things they all make a lot of sense it's just a matter of applying them and uh just continuing with it Let me see. We got Matt. Matt in Denver. You kind of touched on a couple of things. You have anything else to add? Just kind of the general question uh, for anybody that came late. We just Amanda asked the icebreaker question of what is something or some things that kind of set you on your path towards fire. It could be books, people, whatever it may be. Just what 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 kind of got you down that path or continues you down that path? Well, I will say that the F-150 is like a 60 dollars truck, so I don't know that it's the quickest way to fire, but it might be fat fire. You have to buy the two-wheel drive. Yeah, buy the two-wheel drive without any options, and you can still get under about 30000 I'm pretty sure. Well, that's no fun. 
Kevin and Britt. Oh, can't hear you. Hear me? Oh, now we can hear. You. I was gonna say last month you had problems. I'm like, oh, not again. <laughs> right, right. As I start to say some very obscene things at my computer, you can hear me again. Uh, so my, you know, I don't know if I can pinpoint one thing like a particular book. I grew up watching uh, Susie Orman and uh, the segment where she would tell people, no, you cannot afford it. Um, and, and they were like, but I have the money. And they're like, yeah, but you have no savings for the future um, or for emergencies or stuff like that. And I don't know, I guess my journey has been back and forth. And then at one point a year or so ago, um, I was like, well, what if we really take a look at my budget? Because I had always been a saver. I was like, what if we jacked that up? How high could it go? Uh, and that turned out to be doable at the time. And then uh, that magical compound interest uh, started kicking in. And and uh, here we are. Awesome. Yeah, I know we That's talked about the one time about the duplication of Phi. Sorry, I cut somebody off. Well, I was just going to say, like, savings rate would be an interesting thing to share. Right, it's not. It's actually not that personal, but it is at the same time. I know a lot of people calculate it so differently. It's it's kind of hard to pinpoint how people calculate it. But I mean, if anybody has anything to share, that's something we can share too. Uh, we can either, you know, you can add that to your icebreaker. Or we can even ask that separately after we kind of just go through the quick introduction icebreaker. But yeah, Matt, bring that up again if if uh, you want to and. If nobody wants to mention the ice freaky can, otherwise we can, yeah, definitely cover on that topic. Okay. Uh, Michael and Ankeny. Hello. 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 Hey. Hello. How's it going out there? Good. Um, I'll share myself real quick. We're still we're eating dinner. We're also just recently moved. Um, I wanted to attend this group for a while and then saw it online that you guys moved it online. So we were excited about that. Um, I shared in the chat there, uh, I recently started listening to Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Um, I know they have another one on business as well. Um, and it's pretty awesome. They have a wide array of uh, material and that's got me thinking about it again. Um, also considering having kids. <laughs> that that down the pike um just has me thinking about it can't really see i'm too far along the path so um have done a little bit of spending tracking and all that stuff retrospectively not really while i'm spending but just trying to be here to uh gather some knowledge and start down the path uh so i probably won't chime in much with uh experience well feel free to at least ask lots of questions and also on the just the Choose Five Des Moines Facebook group, you know, anytime post questions or an interesting links or things like that, just to stay engaged. I think one thing I've noticed too over the years is you start looking at people that are older and you're like, wow, how did they get to that point? But then all of a sudden, as you get to that point at some point, then you're like, I remember myself like 10 years ago or, you know, however long you're like, I never thought you could get to that point. So I think just the persistency and the wanting to continue down that path is probably the most important part of the whole thing is to not get frustrated, to stay motivated, stay connected, uh, join these kinds of groups and make friends and connections with people around you 
that are um, have a, a collective goal of the same kind of values and stuff. So when we're not sitting here talking about the, the big pool, in-ground pool we're going to put in our backyard and cheering each other on, because my first question is, well, you have all these debts and everything like that. Like, how does all this work? But you don't typically say that to people that are trying to tell you good news. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks well, for having Yep. Uh, Rich in uh, Virginia. Maybe you can unmute if you, we can come back to you if you want to chime in later. Um, Brad in no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm actually in uh, here. I, I, I thought it said company, not locations. I put, put NA there, but um, I, you know, I would say early on, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, I read, I, I know I've read The Millionaire Next Door, but as far as an influence, the I don't know where this came from. It may have been from one of those books, but just the concept of pay yourself first, that, um, you know, you you set up your paycheck, so this amount goes to savings or investing, and you don't even really know what you make. And, and I've had a, a background in sales and some positions with bonuses and just using that money as um, it's just money you don't see and you don't think about it, and that goes straight. Uh, to investing. I've never really been a follower per se of, of Dave Ramsey, but I've listened to him over the years. And, and I think some of the takeaways there, you know, the idea of kind of paying off your mortgage early, I guess early on, that didn't make sense to me with, you know, lower rates. But as I, I guess, get a little bit older and the thing that, that I take from, from Dave Ramsey is they always talk about being intentional and, um, you know, deciding how you're going to, you know, spend your money. And, 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 and I think that, that concept has certainly helped me a lot over the years. Definitely. I know like that David Bach book about the automatic millionaire, just the importance of just kind of the set it, forget it, just the getting it so that you don't have to actually go in there and make the 401k uh, deductions or things like that. Just get it set up and then learn to live on less and enjoy the journey. Uh, Charlie in Iowa. Hey, good evening. Can everyone hear me? Yep. Great, great. So I came to one of the FIRE meetings, I think about a year ago when we were meeting face-to-face -face at uh, Felix and Oscars uh, uh, there near the mall uh, a while back. And I, I don't remember what my exact answer was back then, but I'm pretty sure it's close to what everyone else is saying. I know for myself, you know, I grew up humble from Detroit and, uh, you know, you don't grow up learning a whole lot when you're certain when you're in certain conditions about, um, you know, financial planning and thinking ahead. You're always just thinking about, OK, can I get this job? Can I get out of school? What am I going to do next? And you're always looking at that that next day or staying in the present. But about a year and a half ago, um, my nephew, actually, he started to become a quite a big entrepreneur at his 17, 18 years old. And, you know, here I was a single guy, no pets, no kids. And, you know, I was probably spending more on myself than I probably needed to. And um, him and I, you know, we started talking a lot about uh, real estate and growth and success and motivation and things like that. And so about a year and a half ago, I started uh, dipping my toe into real estate investing 
and I got in touch with Mitch and started showing up to a lot of the Calusi events and and I heard about the fire events and I started showing up to those as well. So I'm glad to finally have some time to meet up with some other like-minded individuals on this. Awesome, awesome. Glad you made it to the virtual one. Yeah, I remember, I think I talked to you at, uh, I talked to you somewhere and I think we connected on bigger pockets at one point in time too, your yeah. wholesaling houses too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Uh, Kim Baker. Yeah, um, I also kind of started Dave Ramsey, and then we kind of just autopilot for a while, I guess, and then just read Quit Like a Millionaire not too long ago, and then kind of rereading and putting everything together and just kind of focusing on that again. Um, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's all the people I see right now on the on this so we can also we can go back to uh matt's question if anybody wants to chime in and then talk about their savings rate and uh a little bit of how they calculate that in the sense of do you include is it pre-tax post-tax how do you how do you come up with whatever number you have i know personally i don't know what my savings rate is um i just know that for the most part uh i try to save as much as we can and uh i, I know that we put away at least 60,000 a year. And then kind of on top of that, then the remaining money, I seem to find homes for, whether it's more of a, you know, improving something at home, if we need to, you know, whatever, spend the money on. So I think it's just, in my mind, I think as long as I can save 60 uh, in, you know, passive investments, retirement type stuff, then it kind of seems like anything after the, I mean, I, I want to make sure that even eventually the roof gets replaced and things like that. So I don't want to, you know, squeeze out too much more money than that. But it's, it's not a savings rate, I guess. So um, just to chime in, um, on one of the Choose FI, I don't remember. It was like one of their little infographs from way back in the beginning. They said that at a 50% rate of savings, it takes around 17 years to get to the 25 times your expenses, which is the recommended amount to have, you know, for financial independence. So at a 50% rate of savings, they're saying it takes 17 years to get to 25 times your expenses. Personally, we're all over the place on our savings rate. Some years we do 50%. In a lot of years, we just do 30 to 40. So we are definitely on the slow end of FI. And we've been, we've been probably, um, you know, working on it for, gosh, 15 years. So we're kind of back and forth. Yeah, I've seen that infographic before. That is really interesting. And uh, I know I have it somewhere, but somebody has it handy. I'm going to post the link to it. But it is kind of nice to look at and say, well, if I do 40 based upon what I make, then I should expect about this many years to be at fire versus if I went 70%, you know, went all out, then this is what I'd end up with. So it is one of those things to kind of help with the gamification, just kind of to visually see in the back of your mind, like it's important to push that number as hard as you can without, you know, depriving yourself to the point where you're miserable because then you start asking yourself, well, what's the point of it all anyway? And plus, if you're miserable now, then what are you going to be in retirement? Well, I'm, I'm on the coast fire plan. So 
I'm pushing 70% post-tax right now, but it's not really sustainable in terms of the work that I'm doing. So I'm changing the jobs that I do. Okay. I think too, if you know, when you're, when you, when you're able to and young and, uh, to, push, to push things as hard as you can, and then once you've got those first really good foundational years out of the way, then yeah, you, you can coast it more. Or if you decide you want to have a bunch of kids and send them all to private schools or, or whatever it might be, as long as you've got that good foundation started in those early years when you're like, you know what, I really like ramen noodles. And later on in life, you're like, you know what, I don't really like ramen noodles. But early on, I mean, go all out. I know one time going to the grocery store, I don't even remember how old I was at the time, but I had a whole bunch of SpaghettiOs on the, on the uh, conveyor going down the time to be some comment about the college life or something like that i'm like weird things like you thought like this is because i'm in college i would eat that way i don't eat that way anymore but you know i was way past college at that time and i saw that was kind of interesting that she thought that why would anybody eat spaghettios in that large of a quantity if they aren't in college but i'm like i'm tucking every penny i can in every, every place i possibly can and I wasn't married at the time either, I don't think. Yeah, well, thankfully, I'm, I'm in a field where it pays well enough. I don't have to eat ramen every day, but uh, I get your point, yeah. I don't know, that, like would be, a... that, that would be depriving. I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't do that. I guess in my mind, yeah, it's uh, depri depriving relative to what? Well... Because here's the thing, right? At a certain point, you're affecting your health by what you're eating. So I wouldn't compromise on the quality of the food that I'm eating. You know, that's not a place that I'd be willing to cut corners, right? Because what's the point of, you know, coast fire, or, you know, or fire in general, right? If, you're, if your body's not in a good shape to enjoy what you've, you know, earned or worked for. Definitely. That's why I changed my eating habits. <laughs> I'll go next. Uh, okay. I, I, yeah, I came into this thinking, boy, I'm going to have a really great percentage to share and just blow them out of the water. And that's not the case. You all are doing great things. <laughs> um, I thought 33 and a third was um, like a really rocking place to be, but maybe I need to reevaluate again. So um, I guess it has helped that travel has pretty much been canceled, at least for now. So we'll see. We'll see what happens if and when that changes. But yeah, that's that's where I shoot for. Thank you, Amanda. Thank yeah, you. She's nice. Thirty three percent is killing it, just so you know. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. You gotta remember you're in a this this is an odd bunch of folks. So I mean compared yeah, to compared to people around you, I mean, they're like, holy shit. I remember one time I had my 401k set to like 36% or something like that. And somebody glanced over, it was at work and they glanced over like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what, you know? And they just thought that was the oddest thing. But I also know that if you look at it as it kind of incremental, like, well, if you get used to 33%, then all of a sudden you're like, well, I wonder if I can do 35. And then all of a sudden you do 35. I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I can do you know 37. And you continue to kind of push that number up just a little bit more. And that comfort moves up there too. And all of a sudden you're, you're sitting there at like 70%, like Matt was saying. And it's like, how in the hell did I ever get to 70% when at the time I was, you know, 
I thought thirty percent was rocking it, which it is totally rocking. Yeah, I mean, as as your income moves up, your expenses don't need to scale linearly for you to have a great quality of life, right? Um, like I just placed an offer on a house that would be less in rent, you know, monthly than I pay now, and my savings rate will probably go up when I buy a house, right? Like, so it's all about how you kind of choose to spend that money. Talk about that a little bit more, Matt, because a lot of times the fallacy of I'm going from renting to buying, people are looking at that as always a positive, but then they forgot to calculate in, oh, now I need a mower. Now I need to take care of a yard. Um, my property taxes, oh, now I've got to move. And so, but you're, you're, you've calculated that you will actually be monetarily better off rent renting or excuse me, buying versus renting or am I misunderstanding yeah. you? Well, there's a couple factors. Um, I can basically work remote from anywhere, right? Um, so I can do that. Um, Denver is a market where rents are pretty steep. Um, and then with these crazy low interest rates right now, I can basically support a mortgage on my side job, right? And, you know, like somebody said, more, you know, interest is tax deductible. I don't really have a whole lot of deductions right now. And taxes are the largest bill that I pay every year. I think it's like even with my spending for just living. So, um, you know, for me, I come out ahead. And yeah, there's going to be expenses like a lawnmower and some of those other things. But, you know, those things you could get on Craigslist, right? Or, you know, just because I move into the place doesn't mean I have to populate every room with furniture, right? I can do that, you know, as I, as I go. Um, and I plan to, you know, basically rent out a basement to a, you know, a roommate, right? Um, you know, obviously I don't want a roommate sharing like a room or a bathroom, but like if it's a big enough house, I can cover half the mortgage with, you know, somebody else, you know, renting out the basement and them having their own space. So that's the way I look at it. That makes sense, especially when you've got, when you're adding that rental component to it. Yeah, it wouldn't make as much sense. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it would be a net benefit in terms of anything other than lifestyle if it didn't have the rental component. You know, to, to add to that, you know, people talk about savings rates. You know, I don't know exactly what my savings rate is. I, I think I do 10% to the 401k and then we do college to max out the, the tax deduction there and then, um, you know, beyond that, we, we kind of, I have a, a job that has bonuses and commissions and things like that. So the, those unexpected things are, you know, at least half of that is, is going into savings, but it's the value of just starting young. And, you know, to your point, you can live like a college kid when you're in college. When I came out of school, I bought a house with my brother who was in very rough shape. We kind of fixed it up from the, from the top down, but we had several roommates, I believe, my share of the mortgage was, I think it was $200 every other month was what, what I paid. And that was a, a nearly paid off house by the time you know I sold it. And then that gets rolled into your next down payment. This gets rolled into your next down payment. And just the power of that uh, 20 years later is, is just hard to imagine. Um, and, you know, at, when I was that age, so. 
I mean, I, I've taken an interesting approach to it because most of my savings is actually in an after-tax brokerage because I plan to use it before I would get any benefit from like the 401k. Don't get me wrong. I do max out the 401k, but you know, I would prefer to have that money in a, you know, brokerage account that's already been taxed because, you know, I can use it at any time. And if I can get a good income off of it, um, then that just, that's, that gives me more flexibility with whatever I want to do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of like, um, a couple of you that said that we, ha I haven't actually ever calculated what our savings rate are, rate is and, and realistic. So I won't go into it too much realistically too, because I think we're probably a little bit older than a lot of the people on the call. So we're in a different stage in our life. Um, hopefully, ideally, you guys will be retired by the time you're, my wife and I are in our, our low 50s. But we say, and we, I, you know, I do know we both max out our 401ks and that includes the regular max. And then since we're both over 50, we can do the additional 6,500 a year. So we're plowing money away that way. But then, you know, even in our, um, Regular paychecks, we're putting money after tax into um, our company's employee stock purchase plan and then just into savings account as well. So it, I started out when we got married late. I was, uh, we were both in our high 30s and she was pretty conservative already with her money, but still she'd been single. I was coming off a divorce. So we, um, neither of us had a lot of money. And she asked me, how much did I save in my paycheck every month? I'm like, how much did I save? I'm trying to pay, I'm trying to pay this mortgage, which I have to pay on my own now. I got this car payment. I'm like, what do you mean what do I save? I don't save anything other than this piddly, you know, percentage I put in my 401k just to get the, the, empl the employer match. I mean, that's all, I mean, and I'm struggling now. And she's like, and this is, I think the advantage of having your spouse on board. She's like, I don't care. You need to start at putting a hundred dollars every paycheck into your savings account. I'm like, I can't. And she's like, do it. And so I did. And that was kind of the start. And then, you know, pretty soon you, you kind of get your feet under you. And then pretty soon you're putting in another 50 every two weeks and then another hundred. And um, yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's like, even if you start later in life, you can uh, do really well. And, you know, because we were really conservative, we, we bought a house under way under our means but it's still nice, and so we we both we both we paid that off. At, you know, by the time we were in our low fifties, and that townhome I had when we got married, that I was barely making the mortgage payments, I kept that, and I rented it this whole time. And within the last six months, um, because we've been saving, I I went ahead and paid off that mortgage. So it, it so we did it less intentional than I I, I admire you, a lot of you guys that are. Um, tracking everything to the last penny to the last percentage, but even if if, if you don't have that mindset to be that um, step by step, as long as you you have the, the general sense of you know we need you know don't spend too much, save as much as you can, things will still fall into place um, pretty nicely. At least that's what we're finding. Agreed, Chris. Thanks for sharing that. I think like. For us, it took, we were just doing the, you know, we were doing the, the employer match on the 401k for years before we ever stepped it up. Um, and thankfully we did because that's actually 
you know, after you see that compound for 20 years, it, it adds up even that, even that, you know, that 6% that we put in from the very beginning has actually held us forward quite a bit, um, just from the compound effect of all of that. But yeah, I mean, every little bit helps. So, you know, start with what works for you. And, and like, we don't always, and we're, we're horrible with sticking to a plan as far as our savings goes. Our life seems to change like every two years for some reason. <laughs> and we just switch it up. We, we really focus lately the last five years on our, our values and just really doing things um, or arranging life in a way that makes sense to us according to our values. And so we've, we've put time as a priority over money lately. Well, Amanda, I, we, we, you and I don't have the big uh, high living expense that uh, Kevin would have in Britt, Iowa. So we've got that going for us. <laughs> so how is Britt, Iowa, Kevin? Do we need to move there? It is a vast metropolitan expanse, let me tell you. We are about one square mile uh, with, of course, a lot of farmland outside, but I think our population is about 2,000. So yes, cost of living here is phenomenal compared to most other places, including, I would say, the Des Moines area. I'm from hey, Lake Mill, that's why I felt I could throw that joke out. <laughs> Which is yeah, just up the, the road from Brett. The Hobo Museum up there. Yes, yeah, that's that. exactly, <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that one out. Um, which I believe would, would probably fit into a uh, minimalistic, financially independent lifestyle. So, hey, mm -hmm. maybe maybe that's where the whole thing started. <laughs> there you go. Indeed. I don't know. I lived in Boston for five years, and Denver seems kind of cheap. So it's all relative. Yeah, I suppose then Des Moines would be pretty cheap to you now. <laughs> what are the median houses? Because in here in in Denver, I think they're like four hundred and seventy thousand. Yeah, we're probably around two fifty. Oh, that'd be lovely. That's just a guess, but I mean, you can get a, a nice house for less than I, that. I could buy two. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. I'm probably one and a quarter. I don't know if it's even that as an average. I think it's about 150 the last time I checked the average property in Des Moines. You, I you can see that. Or the I median, do, Charlie. Anyway. All right, I'm going to go on Zillow. <laughs> there we go. And yeah, I think it was an, I'm, I was in a similar boat as a couple of you guys, but I think I was also in a different situation because, I, like I said, I've never been married. I've been a single guy, no kids. And so I, you know, when I was able to get that nicer car, I went ahead and did that. Or whenever I decided to bump up to live in a nicer place, I bumped up and did that. But now as I am getting older, I have been definitely taking a closer eye on a couple of things that I want to do outside of just relying on a full-time job and trying to uh, generate a lot of that passive income. So I've got my eyes on some pretty 
lofty goals over the next couple of years to get some of these properties, cash flowing properties under my belt and start to build out a portfolio. Hopefully I've, I've actually got something I'm looking at, uh, got contracts um, circling tonight. And hopefully if we, if everything goes well, I'll be able to get that one closed by the end of the month. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely taking an approach to say, okay, I've had my fun in my 20s and my early 30s. Now I need to think ahead for, for what's going to happen, you know, 20 years down the line. So um, hopefully I'll be able to get going on all of that. Hope it goes I, well. I think you're right. I'm looking at a three bed, two bath for 150000 mm -mm -mm. Can't beat it. What's the address, though? <laughs> Pioneer. Average, average house price is a dangerous thing because that can. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking at specific places. What's uh, a little south of Des Moines look like in terms of the place that you'd want to live? What's like the nice neighborhood? So we're a little south of Des Moines. Um, so Norwalk, I would think, yeah. like, it's just south of downtown. If you're wanting to get a little bit out of town and then the taxes are slightly lower, I would, we've looked at normal. Just when the mortgage is 500 uh, bucks. How high are the taxes? <laughs> um, so like, I don't know percentages. Does anyone else else know percentages on property taxes around here? I would, let me see if I can figure There's it out. No, I just know I pay around 1200 bucks every six months. <laughs> East Village. I don't know if that's a good place or a bad place, but 150,000 for a three bed, two bath, 1,200 square foot. So that must be a loft or a condo because East Village. Yeah, is, it's a single yeah. family home uh, and it looks like it has some land around it. Pretty big yard. I think they're using the East Village moniker to, to get business because there aren't any single family homes in the East Village. Yeah, that's just kind of like uh, something that used to be more of an, in an industrial dump of the uh, Des Moines, downtown Des Moines, and then they've turned it into more of a a hipster type boutique yeah, shop. Yeah, this is slightly east of, of that, town, like a little bit. It's like between that and Capitol Park or something. Okay, so that now you're talking east side, so now it does make sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. East side is like where white trash uh, is proud of it. So. I just sold a duplex in, in, on the east side. Thankfully, it went through and it's done. <laughs> but so no, not great rental uh, market there for for quality. No, renters. because uh, the cops are always in everybody's places and stuff like that. So yeah, east side is probably the worst place to rent in the Des Moines area, or to own properties to rent to people. Yeah, yeah, the margins are very, very slim. No, it's good margins. It's just it's um, you know, it's here in that there's people waving guns in the backyard and people breaking in and whatever random weird stuff is happening. So what's interesting is to say the house is hundred thousand dollars, which seems like that is plausible in Des Moines. You can make um about eight hundred dollars a month selling options on that amount of cash. I think that's more than you would get renting if you were just buy the house like with cash and i can explain what i'm what i'm talking about here if anyone's curious yeah yeah go ahead and talk about it. i'm i'm not following 
Okay, so basically what an options contract is, it's agreeing to buy shares of a company at a certain price in the future, and someone pays you for that contract. So say you like Intel, you can basically get a price in your head of like, say it's trading at like 50 bucks, you could say, hey, I'll buy it for 48 in a couple of weeks if it's below 48. And someone will pay you, you know, like 20, 30 cents a share to do that. And you take that money like right up front for those shares. And then you may or may not have to buy it based on whether or not it's going to be above or below. So there's some probabilities involved, but you can basically make a really good annualized return doing something like that with pretty low probability that you have to buy the shares. And if you have to buy the shares, hopefully you bought them at a good price, you know, for their being long-term and, and growing, so. Yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking about there. I thought for some reason you were talking about like options to buy in real estate. Now I've, I've uh, bought and sold options for like indices and uh, learned some valuable lessons and I lost like five or 6,000 bucks in one month. And then that's where I'm like, okay, well, learn some lessons here. And I'm glad it was only five or 6,000 bucks. <laughs> Yeah, there's. It, yeah, it's I've, interesting I've, I've learned to. I've learned to even if something seemed as sure as I thought it was when the market uh, shot up, and it was so unexpected. Then yeah, it didn't. It didn't feel well, and I'm just glad it was only five or six thousand. There's there's a ton of people that are losing a ton of money on options, and there's a a group that's more like me. That's basically you're selling insurance, and you're just kind of collecting premium. But the nice thing is like. If I, if I write insurance on your car and you crash it, like I have to replace your car. If I sell you an options contract, I just have to buy some shares, which, you know, I could have just bought them that day anyway. I'm just getting paid for that, you know, agreeing to buy some shares. So it's definitely an interesting thing if anyone wants to get into it. Um, I know some meetups that, talk about those things yeah yeah i'm not sure if i'm just i'm i think i'm personally just kind of moving away from that direction that was something years ago and i never really went back to it after after that lesson yeah it's not for everyone and you can definitely if you're buying option contracts you can definitely lose a lot of money really quickly because you know it is leveraged so yeah Yeah, I've seen a couple of YouTube videos about how to utilize some of those options out there for, for passive income, but uh, you got to know what you're doing for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so I'm in the software field, so I've actually written a little like application that helps me do this. So I'll put in the company name and it'll look a couple months out and it will show me exactly which ones meet my criteria of annualized return how risky it is to sell it and a whole bunch of other different things. So mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty passive for me. I just do that on Mondays. I write a contract for a couple of weeks and then every month, every Friday I have some of those expire and I just do it again each Monday. Mm -hmm. Does anybody have any uh, limited gas and oil um, contracts? Um, separate income where you would buy uh, a production facility and then that becomes a tax rate um, income in, in uh, you know, five years. 
me. So like as a business to buy it? Yeah. Well, no, apparently there's like a loophole in the law something I'm doing some research on. I haven't actually done it, but, but basically you form a, an LLC with a group. There's, there's companies that do this and is buying an oil rig somewhere. You know, to tell you exactly where it is. And you, the idea is you get a couple of your, so you have um, and you know, the risk is you don't know how long it's going to last, right? If, if it, in theory, it could last 30 years, but it could dry up in, in five years. But the money you put into it is, is lost. And I think that the, the reason it can be put 100,000 into it, that's a loss. And so that, that is um, that come for the year. And then the idea is later in life, if you're in a kind of a five path, you're income taxes you know in the future i generally just stay away from commodities because they're so volatile um you know but obviously people make a ton of money in oil and gas um it's just it's kind of feast or famine and i think slow and steady kind of wins this race Yeah, one interesting thing, I can't remember if I heard or read it, talking about both options and also oil. Do you guys remember, I don't know if it was like five, six weeks ago when um, in the national news they were saying that the price of oil per barrel was actually a negative number? It was like, yeah. No. Which I was like, I, I was having a hard time understanding that. And then this guy I know is really smart, kind of explained it. Um, it goes back to options and um, normally if you buy an option that says um, you buy an option and it says you're required to buy a, a, a in this case oil um, at a certain price if the seller decides to sell it well the, the price was tanking and um, all the places that store oil or would take oil were all at capacity so what was happening is Normally, all that's done on paper. It's like, oh darn it, I've got to buy this. You know, I got to take a loss on 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 on, on buying oil, um, even you know because I didn't realize it was going to drop this bad. And this guy, you know, exercises options, so I've got to buy it at this price. So you take a loss, and then someone offloads it. You know, it's all done on paper. Well, all the storage facilities for oil were filled, and and there was no capacity, and so people were actually at a place where they were required to buy oil and um, take, they had to take delivery on it. market to get yeah. rid of it. Yeah. Well, just they they agreed really to take physically delivery of the oil. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. if you can't take, you know, <laughs> which most people can't that are doing, if you can't take a hundred <laughs> barrels. Like where are you going to put that in your backyard? Like, and you do a couple contracts. It's like you would literally pay somebody to not make you buy that oil. And that's what happened. So yeah, that, that's one of the reasons I don't do contracts on uh, commodities. Yeah, that's true. Rich just said, uh, yeah. So that's another reason. It's like if you have, if if the brokerage has to sell, it's gonna sell it at whatever the market price is, and if you know you're basically having to pay to get rid of that contract, you know that's what happens. It goes negative, which I don't think has happened very many times in the past.
Well, Amanda, I didn't know if you wanted to kind of go into what we were originally talking about as a just a foundational topic for tonight. We don't we don't have to spend a long time on that. I just didn't know if you had anything pre prepared other than the, the couple links I put in the uh, Choose by Des Moines Facebook group. I mean, I have like kind of a list of basics that we can cover. We've already kind of talked about savings rates. And for those of you, I, I think most of you probably know this, but like the, this isn't like a standard rule of thumb, but it's just kind of a way to measure how how you're progressing towards FI. But there, like 25 times your expenses, um, you know, that's a, that's the 4% rule. So that means you can take out 4% of your investments and, and, and live on it without, you know, and be able to live on it for what is it, 30 years, 35? Um, more conservative approach would be like 33 times your expenses. So I don't know if anybody has anything to say about that um, or what, what your comfort level is with percentages um, um, or what you're working toward. We, I don't even know where we're at. I, I, I don't think we've decided. So, because um, healthcare is such a, um, health insurance is such a crazy, unpredictable thing for us that I don't even know that we can predict um, whether we can live on 4% or whether we're going to need to be able to live on 3%. So I don't know if anybody had anything on that that they wanted to discuss, but that is kind of one of the basics of FI. Yeah, I would add to that the idea that you adjust it based on market returns for the year, if assuming that, that your money is in the market. So if it's a terrible year, try not to take the full 4%. Uh, if it's a wonderful year, you may be able to get away with a little more, but but keep in mind where you know what's happening to the nest egg as you look at it. And maybe that 4% isn't a hard and fast rule, but one that you negotiate up and down based on what is happening to your nest egg. I would think 4% is rather conservative. Obviously, in a bad year, you would touch your principal, but most years, you wouldn't even touch the, the nest egg at that at that level. That's true most of the time, and I think, I think it all really depends on when you decide to start taking it. There's the sequence of returns risk that you, that you have. Um, you know, if you, if you happen to quit working, and the market tanks for, you know, three, five, or more years. I mean, it's not likely, and historically, it doesn't happen. But, you know, depending on what you have, then if if it if you get that hit right off the beginning, right in the beginning, then um, four percent would be a little bit riskier. If if the market's going up, you know, toward the beginning, you'd probably be fine. Um, it's the standard thinking there. I'm going to try to like put a couple of links in the chat here. If anybody else has anything. And I think that also assumes that you're living 100% off of that investment return too, that you don't have any kind of, you know, even if it's a Walmart greeter job or a tutor, it is something you're doing on the side to earn a little bit of cash. I mean, that all adds up fast too. I know uh, I have my every couple of years or so, I have some insurance salespeople always trying to sell me stuff and uh, had a couple meetings recently with them. And uh, they are absolutely convinced that I need whole life insurance to cover those uh, gap years when the market is down. 
But uh, something interesting kind of on the health insurance topic to some extent is uh, they're like, oh yeah, um, retirement wise, you are like beyond set. Don't even like, why put any more money? But I also think that's kind of a marketing thing too. But they're like, let me show you how fast um, the average uh, major medical expense will wipe that out. So, you know, based upon whatever calculations the company has put together. So that's where they're trying to sell uh, long-term care because they're like, you know, in a very short period of time, that chunk of money would be wiped out based upon what we have for average costs at this age kind of stuff. So I told them at this time, I, I am not sold on the idea of having or buying long-term care insurance. And I said, um, it'll be really hard for you to ever sell me a whole life insurance policy. But I do know that that's been a conversation that we've had in the past where they're talking about um, keeping extremely low death benefit and then putting money into the cash um, cash value portion of it. I'm still not convinced on it. I even asked them to send me some articles because they said we have lots of great articles we can send you on that topic. I read through them. I didn't find a single one in there that really stood. I was like, wow, that that really makes sense. That's a great idea. But um, that just kind of a, a to touch on the gap year portion, plus also the like, let's say you retire and then five years later, you have a major medical issue where it, it wipes your entire savings out in five years. I mean, I don't I don't know how likely half this stuff is, but it's also one of these scare tactics to try to sell you something new. Anybody else have long-term care insurance or any plans on buying anytime in the near future? I, yeah, that's one of the, the questions. Yeah, I, was, I think that makes sense when you get to a certain age, but I don't think it's worth it early on. Yeah, the, 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 the hot, hard part of that is the longer you wait, the more expensive it is, the earlier you get it, the cheaper it is. So yeah, I, that's one of those things I wish someone could just say, yeah, you should definitely, and you, so you got long-term insurance, you also have disability insurance. And I don't know, especially for those of you that have been in the fire movement long, I mean, are either of those like taboo or are they all like it's it's situational? I, I mean, does kind of as, as, an, as, a, um, as a group, what's the group think on like either of those or or is there one or is it like you know we, you can't have a one size fits all so you, everyone's got to figure that out on their own i mean well, i have disability insurance and i think that i think that's a good thing to have to be able to to cover because i mean it doesn't cost that much money on uh, my wife and i both have that and it just kind of one of those things then it feels like it gets us to i think 67 or 69 uh, so it's above 65 um, so that would pay our living expenses if need be, if one of us became disabled, but then we're still able to continue our path towards, towards, I guess, retirement, even though if it, if it puts you in a situation where you're kind of retired early medically, but at least that seems like it keeps our plan on track. Sorry, Matt, I kind of cut you off there. Well, it really depends on what you do for work, right? Um, you know, for my job, it's, you know, I could do it without being able to be as mobile, but, um, and like, you know, the only type of insurance that I would seriously look at is term life insurance. And I'm not going to do that till I have kids because, you know, there's, there's really no benefit, right? Uh, if I was to go tomorrow, you know, my estate would cover pretty much anything I needed to. And then there'd be leftover for, you know, my family. Um, 
so it really it really depends like you know that risk thing insurance generally is a losing bet but if you're smart about what insurance you get and you're you know you know that it can really pay off and it could be the right thing to do like i know my, my brother he's a software developer and an international speaker and a plural site author and i know he had something years ago it was called like visual snow syndrome or something like that but he was having a hard time staying focused and you know just keep you know a level head so i know that scared him to the point where he went out and bought a decent sized disability policy because he's like you know if if i can't give a proper lecture or if i can't you know write code the way i've been writing it then I don't know what I would do in that aspect because that's that's kind of what he does. So he was very much in the end, the avenue of uh, protecting what he has based upon getting a decent disability policy. Okay, I mean, I'm at I'm at the point where it's like I don't have kids, so I have enough where I feel like I'm self-insured, even if something like that did happen, even though I do have disability through my employer. But I just I don't have term yet because I, I just there's no need for that payout because it's like it's not like I'm supporting somebody else to do that. Yeah. I think for us I think that's right on the money because Go ahead, Brad. Yeah, I think that's right on the money, you know, because I think any, any of the whole life policies, I mean, they're just very low annuities and, you know, just be average in the market, you're going to do better than that. And, and, and to your point, that's the, the point of life insurance is not an investment for your future. It's if you die when you have kids and, and how are they going to yeah, support it's, themselves? Can those kids be raised to 18 in the lifestyle that they had in the, you know, the absence of the, that income, right? That's the way to look at life insurance. Anything else, it's like, you know, when you're retired, like you shouldn't have a whole life policy. What, what's the point, right? If you've paid off your house and you have, you know, some passive income from your investments, like what, what is that? <laughs> you're paying a lot extra to get a whole life policy versus the, uh, the term life insurance. But the big, to me, the big thing is yeah. when you look at insurance, it's the catastrophic stuff. And when you start negotiating with, with agents and, and look at the deductibles, yeah, that's where it makes sense. If you have, you know, like for homeowners, for example, you know, they're, they're going to sell you a thousand dollar deductible. Well, what if my deductible is 50,000 and, and, and they look like you're, you're crazy there, but they'll change, a, you know, $1,500 uh, a year policy down to, you know, four or $500. And, and you look at it, I'm going to invest that $600 and you're not subsidizing all these folks that are trying to you know, scan the insurance companies to get a new roof and, and, and that kind of stuff. So um, when, when you're looking at insurance generally, I, I think they're obviously motivated to scare you and, and um, you know, what about this? What about that? What about this? But if you, if you get yourself in a position where you have, you know, $50,000, dollars that you can afford to lose, you know, then some of this catastrophic long-term healthcare stuff can, can make sense because it's so cheap. Yeah, I mean, their target market isn't the fire community. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the people that, you know, they're saving one to 3% a year. Their debts really are growing each year. Like that's who they're after, right? Who can't afford the $1,000 that comes up, right? Because of some deductible. 
So I think if you take a look at it from the perspective of this community, it's, you know, how you use insurance is, I think is a little different or should, how you should use it. Right. Cause you know, I've been in the insurance industry and you know, it's, it's good money because most of the time you're, you know, the whole business model is you bring in more money than you're paying out and you do that every year and you invest that money. <laughs> so. Yeah. I would agree, Matt. I guess also on the term insurance. I'm sorry about that, Amanda. Oh, you're fine. I, I was just saying that I agree. I think that, that the whole idea of FIRE for us is to self-insure. So, I mean, we currently have like a disability policy through Alan's work and we have term life, but once, and I don't know if we'll, we'll our term life is up in four years. So we'll see what we do with that. We haven't decided yet, but um when the disability yeah, it just depends on where you're at, right? If you're like, okay, you know, the kids are where they need to be and you know that stuff's paid for, like you can let that one slide. <laughs> Absolutely. And our kids are, you know, pretty much adulting or they they, they should be at that point. <laughs> so um yeah, we'll reevaluate that then. But like the disability insurance, I guess I guess we figure we're we're getting we're close enough that um we don't We'll just self-insure once once work is done. So that's our take on it. But I always also think on the term life insurance, like you know, I, my wife and I both have a policy. It's a you know two hundred fifty thousand dollar one for I think it's one hundred and twenty five bucks a year. So for that tiny bit of money, uh, for that payout, if something would happen to one of us, to me it kind of seems like it's a it's a nice. If nothing else, it's a nice icing on the cake. If I end up getting hit by a car tomorrow, then um, she doesn't have to figure out as much stuff. She can just, here's an extra $250,000 to put on top of everything else. And, you know, if you want to give it all away or whatever you want to do, it only costs us 125 bucks a year. So to me, that, it just seems yeah, like, exactly you know, kind for. of playing it as, a, <clears throat> kind of playing it as a probabilities that, you know, there is something that could happen to me in the next 20 years or so. And, for that, you know, little bit of money, it doesn't seem like that much to add to have that. And I, I don't know, <clears throat> we've still got uh, like five years on our term policy and then we have to re-evaluate again if we would want to get another one, but it'd be the same kind of thing. It's going to be a little bit more money because of our age, but relative to, and that kind of goes back to where we were talking earlier. If uh, if I if I set the goal of save 60,000 a year and all of a sudden I'm like, well, what if I saved, you know, Fifty-nine thousand seven hundred bucks. Is that going to change much there? But that also gave the option of within that period of time an extra two hundred fifty thousand dollars or a half a million dollars if something happens to both of us and somebody got to figure out what to do with our kids and that gets rolled into a trust. And then that from that point that just helps the trust more than where it's currently at. So to me, it's kind of like that tiny bit of money doesn't seem like it's that much of a difference because of so much money already being saved. Yeah. Right or wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't that, that's know. why you do it, right? You do it because you've got people that are going to need that money when you're gone. And like, they don't want to be worrying about money while they're also mourning having lost you. Right. Well, and also some people just do it just to be able to, you know, whether they want to start a scholarship or they want to create something or just give all the money, you know, 
to somebody outside of their family or that they don't have a family or no longer have a family that would need the money where they just say, you know, I'm gonna set up a charitable trust and move the money on perpetually. Totally, yeah, I mean. I don't think anyone would ever argue against term. I think the problem is I think if you're 30, the, the cost of like a term policy versus like a whole life, is something like 10 or 20 times the price, I, I believe. Yeah, and and that's my point is that the whole life is not a good deal, right? Because the purpose of insurance, for at least for this one, it's like it's like it it's literally to help your family to replace the income from when you were doing your peak earning years, right? And you know, getting the kids and raising them and doing all that stuff. Um, it's it's not like at, whole life is treating it more like it's an investment. And whole life insurance is a terrible investment if you just look at the returns. Chris, I can hear your lips moving, but you're not muted and I can't hear you. Nope. But you're on un you're unmuted, but we can't hear you. Something come unplugged. Yeah, check the cord. That's what I always do. Did anyone uh, upgrade their like Zoom and, and audio setup for COVID? I didn't. Can you hear me now or not? Oops. Yep. Yep. I hear you now. You yep. Can? Okay. Okay. No, I, yeah, I, the whole life is like one of those things. It thinks it can be all things to all people, and it's it's neither. And yeah, it's it's not a good deal. Um, I pushed back a little bit. I can't remember who said. Um, uh, I think it was. Uh, I got to scroll down. I think it was Brad. I think you you made the comment. Maybe it was um, just a throwaway comment. You didn't really mean it. That you know, term can never be a bad thing. I mean, I think Matt made the point for him. Term would be a waste of money because he. He has nobody depending on him for any of his income. So, you know, so that, you know, a lot of the, the insurance salesmen use the, the, the whole line. It's like, Oh, buy it, buy it now while you're young because it's cheaper. But again, you, you don't have a reason for that insurance if you don't have dependents because insurance is put in place to take care of your dependents to replace the income you were making that you can no longer make because you've obviously deceased. So that's kind of a sales line that I think um, some people fall for. And I guess I just yeah. wanted to make that Cause, point. Cause if I was to die, basically my estate, like I don't really have any debts. So my estate would just go to the next kind of in my family. Right. Um, so for me, like if they got more, but I'm paying for that, like, does it really matter? Right. right. 100% agree. But as soon as I have background noise, I will definitely get term life insurance. <laughs> background noise, that's the indicator. Yeah. yeah. Um, we were kind of, I think Amanda, you said you, or one of you guys said yours is running out. Yeah, both my wife and I got 20 year policies um, right after our daughter was born so she would she's 13 now so they're going to run out when we're in our high 50s and then she'll 
be in college or shortly thereafter. And um, the beauty is, again, we've saved long enough that there, at that point, there really shouldn't be a decision as far as do we need to re-up or this or that. And the, the premiums will be you know, sky high in comparison to what we paid when we were in our high 30s. So um, th that's, that's kind of the point. It's like, okay, that, that worked when we needed it. We, fortunately, we didn't have to use it. And, but, and more fortunately, in our high 50s, we're not going to have to re-up an insurance policy because th there's, you know, she'll be on her own. And if even something unfortunate happened at that point, you know, we're in a, who's, which one of us is left will be in a point where we'll, ha we'll still have assets and, and ability to take care of something for her if we still needed to at that point in our life or the, or the other spouse for that matter. And again, we've paid off our house. So that's, that's a big reason why you have insurance is to pay off your mortgage if one of you dies. Exactly. It sounds like you nailed the exact use case for, for term, right? Like right. You're, you were the best consumer of insurance because it's like, there's no better way to make that deal. You bought it when it was cheap. You know, thankfully you've made it to almost the end of that policy and you haven't had to use it. And it's like, doesn't get any better than that. Right. Should probably knock on wood though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I said, thankfully here. So, <laughs> you know, no one knows what tomorrow is going to bring. That's true. And to touch on your earlier comment, Amanda, I still think that, and this is wishful thinking, but even with this whole COVID mess right now too, I still can't imagine they can't get the health insurance situation figured out in the next handful of years, just because it's been going in such a horrible direction for so long that it just seems like something has to change to in the favor of something that is affordable that doesn't include that doesn't involve an employer that's the hope right yeah we can hope <laughs> i'm not very encouraged right now but like i mean it's just it's such a wild card right now like it's impossible to plan um and that is the major reason i think that would we wouldn't you know fire is health insurance and yeah, I hope you're right. Well, it doesn't mean you can't coast fire, right? So basically, if you've done all the hard work and you've got that nest egg, you can take a lower paying job that maybe still has health insurance that's easier, less stressful, and do that till you're at an age where you don't need to concern yourself with the health care. Yeah, I would say we're already there. <laughs> we're coasting. But uh, yeah, I agree totally for anyone. Um, yeah, that's, I, I like the Coast Fire. I, I had to look that up, I gotta admit, Matt. I didn't know what Coast Fire meant, so I looked it up and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm there. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's basically, I'm doing a push right now to get the house. I've already got basically passive income that covers a mortgage. So it's, at that point, it's Coast Fire. So I'll take a much easier job than what I currently have, so. Yeah, that's a new term to me, but that's exactly my, my plan as well. I mean, the reality of truly retiring and do nothing sounds great, but I don't, I, I don't see how you can live that way. So I, yeah, I think when you look at you know, all these calculations and insurance salesmen or financial advisors, you know, they're assuming zero income. And especially if you're going to retire, you know, post, post retire, or I guess at, at um, you know, 45, you have the choice, right? So if the, if the economy takes a dump, well, you know, maybe you work 30 hours normally, but then you, you up that to 40 
for that year or two. So you're, you're protecting your nest egg. And then when, you know, the economy's on fire and, um, and, and you're getting a 12% hours that, that year or so and travel more. And, and to me, that's the beauty of, of being financially independent is you're in control. You, you have the ability, you know, you don't, you know, I want to, I want to, um, I want to work. I want to do something productive, but I also want to be able to, you know, go to Europe for two weeks and and have a, a job that I can do that. Well, I can choose when I do that. I don't have to do that when COVID hits or I guess the non-health version for the economy. You know, I can wait till the till the market's doing well and and, and spend when uh, when the, the the stock market's high. I mean, if if. If I didn't need a W-2 to qualify for a mortgage, I would quit my current job tomorrow. And I could probably do that. And then I'd look for something a lot easier. So yeah, uh, I think Coast Fire, especially if interest rates just keep going down, right? It's, you know, a little bit of income to offset your expenses. It's, it's really hard to get that 4%, um, you know, consistently. Um, and to get the nest egg big enough, but it's like, you know, just having a little bit of money coming in just makes that whole, you know, whole equation a lot easier to stomach. Yeah, I I'm would. Not sure if I've ever. Sorry, sorry. No. Oh no, Go I was on. just gonna. I was just gonna say I would echo um, whoever was speaking that said, "Yeah, it sounds great," but I wouldn't. I would not function well if there was literally no reason to get out of bed in the morning. I don't have kids. So um, the idea of retiring tomorrow would be quite useless to me. That That isn't my goal. But being secure enough that I'm ready for anything that might happen. Um, so I'm the, I'm the FI as opposed to the RE. I'm right there with you. I mean, it's it's a bit the, the option to do whatever you want to do, right? It's not that you necess don't necessarily want to work. It's just that you want to be able to choose. It just means you can say no to a bad job. Exactly. Yeah. I also think once you get to a certain point, you just don't seem to care as much, even in the current job, because you're like, what's the worst that can happen? They fire me. And then you look around and you're like, look at all these people around me that do a much shittier job. So then if they're like, you know, I don't really care to do this. And I'm uh, rereading the books as part of Mitch's book club, the whole subtle art of not giving a fuck. And um, it is still, it is actually a really good book except for all the fucks and uh, profanity in it. But one of the uh, quotes that I, I pulled up that I thought was kind of interesting in the book and they talked quite a bit in depth about it was the backwards law. And it was um, the idea that that the more you pursue feeling better all the time, the less satisfied you become as pursuing something only enforces the fact that you lack it in the first place. And I've been kind of reflecting on that quite a bit lately because it's kind of like the whole um, wanting something else. You know, they always talk about the grass is green on the other side, that kind of stuff. Or even the fact that during this whole COVID thing, I've given enough people shit about, uh, yeah, you're working from home. Yeah, you're working from home. At, at least for you know some of my coworkers that you know literally they put on their team's thing like um currently working from home expect delays and i'm like why would you be working from home and we'd expect delays so uh but I, i'm there every uh, do, day do you really need to ask that question though the what 
why there Actually, would be delays because they're not working yeah, I well i know but that's like why would you ever put that on there like your boss you know i'm like oh yeah so and so your uh work apparently is expect you know it's it's just kind of silly but well, they're still, you they're know still i'm getting kind of getting paychecks. shit about that, that and days ago i got a phone call mate yeah oh, I, I know that but then uh two days ago got a phone call from hr and they said hey we think you were in contact with somebody with COVID, so we'd like you to stay home until that person tests negative or whatever. So we're like, we've uh, deactivated your badge. You're no longer allowed in the building until we, uh, you, that person tests negative. So these last couple of days, I'm kind of sitting at home thinking like, well, this is actually kind of boring. You know, I, I'm normally more fast paced, normally uh, solving problems on the fly with people and interacting with the few people that I have in that building still. But it's one of these things that, you know, um, it's it's a nice exercise in the fact of actually kind of prefer the the fast pace of things versus the sitting there at the computer thinking, hmm, should I put on there expect delays? Probably not. But even like my wife's like, hey, you're going to go get groceries. I'm like, I'm working. Why would I go get groceries? Well, I don't know. I figured you're working from home, you know, and I'm like, I'm working. Why would you expect that? But it's just kind of one of these things that, you know. I keep thinking about the the pursuit of it all and what are you pursuing? And the more, I know we talked about that like a month or two ago, if I move the savings from 60,000 to 55,000 because I had a use for the 5,000 that I felt was a, at the time it was, um, you know, son going to private school because of the whole COVID BS in, in Iowa. Um, does that really change much in the grand scheme of things? And, and how does that, how does that affect everything? So I kind of have been reflecting a lot more on that whole, the whole thought behind it. And, uh, you know, sold sold the duplex recently. So at the moment, I'm not a landlord. And everybody's like, well, when are you going to buy another property? What are you going to do next? I'm like, I don't really know. I mean, do I really want to? And if I didn't, everything's okay. If I did, okay, then I'm back to doing that again and adding some more layers of a little bit of stress, a little bit of drama, um, definitely more potential, but it's just one more of those interesting thoughts. Yeah. So why do you need to do something else? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what I don't know. I mean, I'm right. I've been, I've been, I've been chasing something else for so many years, but then if you were to tell somebody like, you know, I go to my little insurance sales thing and they're just like, so you're you're well set up on your way. You could stop tomorrow in the sense of adding any more and you're, you're, you're good. But I'm like, well, but I need to pursue more. I need to pursue more. I should probably do more. You know, when I get home from work, I should probably start my side business. You know, it's kind of like, do I need to anymore? And do I need to assess what it should be and how big and how risky it should be? And, you know, like I lost the, the 25 some grand one time in, in something and it's like, well, should I do more things like that and potentially lose money that direction? And I, you know, I've got from the, the 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 duplex sale, I've got you know like a little over seventy thousand just sitting around. But it's like, what do I do with it? So I think that, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think about this. Okay, this is like my favorite topic because I think that you got to figure out what the point of enough is. Um, I I've been I mean, since COVID, I mean, we're kind of not doing, you know, no traveling. Um, but it makes you think 
Like, what is that point of fulfillment? I think Mitch mentioned it um, a couple of meetups ago. Like, when do you get when you get to that point where there's enough? Where how do you determine where that is and what actually fulfills you? Is it like pursuing more? And for the, for what? What is the point of continuing to pursue more? Does that you know? I think you got to. Those are just questions I'm throwing out there. I'm just. Like there was um, in, I don't know if anyone's read this book, but Your Money or Your Life, they had the fulfillment curve, right? And they said, the more you go past that peak fulfillment, you're actually unhappier. So once you like get to the peak and you have enough and you keep going, you actually get, you're less happy um, when you have too much. I mean, too much of anything is still too much, right? Or more of anything is still too much. So, oh. yeah, just a general ramble. No, no, I'm, I ramble all the time too. But even like in the um, the book club when we were doing the last book, uh, the Go Giver, there was uh, several people that are um, stuff like that, and they got talking about charging when uh you know when you're doing something that everything's tra transactional versus just you know i'm doing this and giving this free advice or whatever it might be and then it seemed only it seemed very stressful a lot of it and and i was just kind of talking about some of my examples i gave and i said you know but when i think about it it's coming from the privilege of having a job that i don't that pays me decent that i don't have to rely on the, the 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 transactional you know kind of like the the people selling the 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 insurance i mean they're trying to make a buck i mean we're not we're not here to talk about the weather we're here to talk about the weather because that's how they're warming up the conversation because they've got to make a buck so and i'm just sitting here talking about the weather so i think it's just kind of one of those i'm going with that but just yeah I mean, my anecdotal experience with that is the least favorite thing of doing my side consulting is actually creating the invoice and sending it. Okay. And it's exactly that. It does, that part feels the most transactional of the whole thing. And, you know, I don't need that income to live on. So, um, you know, I do it, but most companies probably wouldn't like the fact they get billed once a month. <laughs> so... So I guess to piggyback on that, does everyone have, so Amanda, it sounds like you have a, a target in mind. Like what, what is that number? Is that $2 million that, and that's when you're, you're good, good or, or what, what are people kind of, cause that's something I'm not sure what my answer is. Honestly, I don't have an answer. I, I, because I can't pick her expenses adequately because of the health insurance. Um, we have an age target if we don't have an option for insurance besides through work. Um, so uh, 
Quite honestly, our numbers would change depending on what our health insurance options are. And right now I don't see that we have any. So I guess, I guess we, we don't, I would, I would be comfortable with the 25 times my expenses are 4% if I knew what that was, what that, what the expenses would be. So that's all I really know. And mine. Yeah. But it's interesting. We're all probably on the because we're savers and, and, and which there is a sort of all that. And, and, and that, that is a tough thing. These are some real things. That, um, and, and when you look at, you know, over 40, 45, 50, you know, that's hopefully a, a lot of years of living uh, and, and things. Well, mine isn't a number of dollars. It's a income. It's a passive income, and it would be between forty and seventy thousand. So, it really comes down to how creative I could be to get there, right? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money. And what you do have. you do for? What's that? And, and what are you? Is that like what? What are you? Uh, how are you building that passive income? Is that real estate? What? What's your? Uh, what's your? Choice. We were talking about the options before. Or? It's it's dividends. It's options. Um, it will be real estate. Uh, it will be some consulting that I do. That's very, you know, kind of hands off. Um, it's, it would be business equity. A whole bunch of different things. It doesn't really matter. But however I could get there would be, you know, that that's my goal. It's not a it's not a dollar amount. It's a okay at this point. You know, if you own your house free and clear, or even if you had a small mortgage, you know, you could live very comfortably on between 40 and 70,000. I think like 72,000 is like the peak of happiness in terms of income anyway, right? Because especially if you have your biggest expense covered, like the house piece, then you can pretty much, you know, like, okay, I want to take the kids to the park today, or, you know, I want to go visit the grandkids. Like, you know, what can't you do on that, right? If you're not having to pay you know, a mortgage and your income's low enough that all the benefits for like cheaper health insurance would accrue to you because they don't technically look at assets. So how do you factor real estate? And, and just curious, so what, what, um, what's your work? I only heard half of that. Sorry, I think I may have been talking over someone, but but um, you talk about consulting that's fairly um, passive. What what type of work is is that related to what you're doing now, or or what's your goal to build that type of uh, passive income? Um, it's it's a very niche area of software where you're basically helping companies connect like enterprise applications together. So it's very niche, and I've got some clients that I work with that they just keep giving me more work. And like, you know, I'm, I've made a name for myself as being like the, the guru for them, where it's just like, they're comfortable with whatever I bill. Um, so like, I, and I basically made an agreement with them, like it's a certain number of hours per month, regardless of whether I work or not, um, which is a kind of unique situation uh, as far as that goes. Kim, did you have a question? Yeah. 
so I was just asking like with your 25 times your income or excuse me, expenses, how do you factor real estate into that? It's like, I mean, it's easy for an investment account, but what do you do? I mean, you kind of have to look at the cash flow. You can't really, really yeah, you can't really right. count it. Um, well, you, you'd have to look at the cash flow. If it's an income property, but if it's your house, the only way to take money of that would be to, you know, take another a reverse mortgage or something, uh, take an yeah, you know, equity line. Farmland, not housing, I guess. Farmland more specifically. So I would personally just subtract that from, I mean, I, I don't know how it would pay, like some, some farmland pays annually, right? Monthly. Um, but however much you're making off of that, um, just take that off of what you need to save your, you know, so how do I put that? I don't know that so it would. 50,000 expenses and you get 10,000 in that you're 40 times your 25. True. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And then in like a low cap area, the challenge is you can't like sell 4% of the property, right? Like, you know, with the stock portfolio, it's like, oh, I can just sell 4% of the shares or whatever, or the ETFs or whatever, and get that income to live off of. So I think it's a little different with real estate. You just have to look at it as a, it's either making you that annual income or, you know, I just have to plan to exit this at a good time to turn it into something that I can sell fractional bits of. Yeah, we'd probably have investments as well. So I just take less off investments based on what the farm income is, I guess, and not sell the farmland. That's why I think the whole putting a number isn't very useful because it's completely dependent on interest rates and returns, right? Because it's like 25 times your income. It's like, well, why don't you just get to your income in passive and like that could be higher, that could be lower, depending on what you're comfortable with in terms of risk, in terms of investing. So. And you can also use a line of credit to bridge some of those times too, like we were talking earlier about if the uh, market's down, if you've got a line of credit at you know 3%, you may take uh, some money out for a year or two and then just kind of adjust it on the other years to kind of play it that way. Yeah, and I think, you know, like what Amanda was saying is, you know, if you assume 4%, then, you know, what, what is it that you need to live on? And I, I always look at it, it's going to be a little higher than I think it is because you're going to want to travel a little bit. You're going to have to fill your time. That's why I've kind of thought about that 2 million where if you think six is you know six percent gives you 120,000 a year but then there's gonna be some down years but i don't know if it's the right number but if you can get real estate that produces you know 10,000 a year then just you know take six percent egg that you want i guess i i call that fat fire if you want to retire on that that's good Maybe Matt, maybe you could go through all the like fire terms. Like I know there's lean fire, <laughs> lean fire, fat fire. I just learned about coast fire. I think there's slow fire. Am I right? 
I mean, I think that those are the three main ones. It, it, like fat fire is like, I want to retire in style, right. Of like, you know, upper middle-class income indefinitely. Um, then there's coast fire, which is like, you know, you're still going to work, but you don't have to. Um, and it basically puts you in the position where you can say no to a job. Skinny fire or lean fire is basically like, you're going to live like a hermit. <laughs> so, you know, I'm of the opinion, it's actually easier to make more money than it is to save money beyond a certain point. Um, so I lean towards coast fire and maybe that's kind of the work that I'm in, but some people do like, you ever heard of dividend mantra? He's a gentleman who did, um, basically dividend growth investing. And his goal was, you know, pretty meager. It was, I think it was to get to like 40,000 an annual like dividend income. And it's like, that's completely passive. But he did that by saving a ton of money because, you know, he wasn't in a very high paying, you know, career field. Um, I just think there's a whole bunch of different ways to go after this. And those are the three main ones, I think. I think there's Brista Fire. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I think that's one of them too. Yeah, that's where you work like the, the barista job. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you could probably do skinny fire or lean fire and then that turn that into barista fire. And there's your health insurance. You'd be a lunch yeah. lady. <laughs> well, and if you work at Starbucks, they actually have health insurance. So Yeah. I mean, my I mean, goal is my to have a bunch of W2s from that that each one doesn't pay very much, but the responsibilities are pretty low. <laughs> I think uh, my wife and I were <laughs> looking at it as a, what? Keep going. No, go ahead. I, I just said that was an interesting perspective. Um, I wouldn't, a million, it doesn't seem, and that's, it was called fat fire. I don't know what, like, what is the, so if you look at an income, you know, I, I guess I, I worry about what that looks like because um, that seems like a lot of money and, and you don't have a house payment and all that, but it, but I just, I just see that could go very quickly. I, I happen to have a, a friend that, that played um, professional football and, and he, he talks about how hard it is not to work and, and the expectation that people know that you have this money. And, um, and that's something that I guess really stuck with me as I look at, you know, what is that number? Well, it's entirely dependent on the lifestyle you want, right? If you have a lifestyle that depends on, you know, showing up and looking like you're spending $120,000 a year, then you pretty much have to fat fire. Like you don't have an option. But if you're comfortable being the millionaire next door, right, then yeah, maybe you can get by on like 40 to 60. I also think it has a little bit to do with your risk tolerance. Um, I guess, you know, some people rather be be safe, safe than sorry, and save more than they need to to get to that that certain income level. Um, I definitely am more on the conservative side of the risk, um, so I would tend to just stick it out a little bit longer just to make sure, um, but not make myself miserable in the process. So, and that's where I 
like the term stealth wealth, where you don't have to be showy about it. And then as long as you can kind of have a, you know, a, a, a career, you know, you're not a doctor or a lawyer or something along those lines where you almost have to have a really nice car because it's kind of a status symbol of if you're if you drive a piece of junk as a car, then you're probably not a very good lawyer or physician, I think is kind of the perceived notion. But if you don't have to worry about that, if you own the junkyard and um, make really good money and you drive the junkie car, but have ridiculous amounts of money laying around, then I think then you don't have to uh, project that that uh, point on anybody else. And then you don't have to have as high of a number two. But also I think like the fat fire would be more of like your 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 doctors and lawyers that are used to the lifestyle. And if they're making five hundred thousand a year, they want to retire, but they still want to make, you know, spend one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand a year. So they know they've got a shovel of money aside to be able to have that amount of money, but their retirement might look more like five to seven million dollars is what they need to have that income as to some of us that just seems ridiculous i mean the bigger the shovel the easier it is right uh, at, a, at a certain point because you know this the expenses of living are not like it's not linear relate, related to your income it's like there's a certain floor you know the hundred twenty thousand dollars if you're if you're making 500 sure the tax man's taking 30 percent of that but you still got um you know like $250,000 you can put away a year and you can pack man rental properties pretty quickly at that rate. Right. So. Yeah. You know, if each year you can buy a rental property that yields you 10,000 bucks in 10 years in that career, if you're smart about it, you could put away 10 rental properties that now you're diversified. You've got those rental properties. They're all spitting off the cash. At a certain point they're paid off. Like, yeah, I mean, that's a whole different ball game of fire. Yeah. Yeah, Amanda, we got kind of sidetracked on the, uh, like, number one of the whole basics of fire. <laughs> I don't know if you want one of the other ones. Uh, the, I think I just open it up because I'm going to sign off here soon. Um, okay. Anyone that has any, like, questions or topics they want to address um, before we go, we can... We can narrow it down a little bit more for next time so that I had a whole list of things we could have went through, but this is fine because it's what we wanted to talk about. So, but does anybody have any questions or topics that they want to address? Um, well, I'm going to hop off shortly to go to a Zoom meeting about stock trading. So if anyone's interested, I could pop that link in the chat. It's pretty much a nationwide group. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. I appreciate it uh, early as well, but hopefully it can be. Anybody else have any questions or anything they want to discuss? Anybody else's groceries? Hi. <laughs> Expensive. I've been working on it. I haven't seen any sales on avocados lately, and Dave's not here, so. Dave emailed me a few days ago about that. I don't think. <laughs> uh, Dave, no, it still is. Dave emailed me like a week ago about their fifty cents at um, 
that uh, time market or whatever it was. Oh, fresh time. Well, you know, it's the avocados are the reason millennials can't buy houses. It's not that houses cost twice as much. Yeah, it's that stupid <laughs> avocado toast, right? Yeah. We're just lazy and avocado toast. Yeah. Great. I'm not a millennial and I like avocado toast. But I can make it for like less than a dollar. I'm the opposite. I am a millennial and I don't care at all for avocado. Your millennial car is like revoked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I only got it by a thread, so <laughs> we're not hanging on to much. Oh, Kevin, you tried the the Verizon card. Yeah, it's quirky card. I mean, it works, but it's quirky. So I just got uh, my first billing statement, which is probably because I signed up right after you told me about it last time. And uh, I did the math and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, grocery store, um, which is basically what I was using it for. And it's pretty much straight up 4%, though. I'll take it. Yeah, no, it works. It's just, it's weird because we we pay off our cards every month. So we made oh, a yeah. payment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we made a payment last week and it's still not like, it's still, it's not pending. It's clear and they're still not showing it. Anyway, it's the, the card, the like, it's just been a little quirky, but it works. I I would screenshot that if I were you, if it would, if you, if it says, okay, here's your payment, we've made it. I, I like to screenshot that so that ever say we didn't receive it. I don't know. Here it is. Yeah, they actually show that they've received it and we call them today and we're like, what, what gives? And they're like, oh, it just takes a while for our system to update. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on it, but yeah, I mean, the rewards work great. Cards fine. It's just a little bit strange on the whole pending payments, pending hmm. charges side, but we'll see. I'm still yeah. happy with rewards. Yeah, and, and thank you for sharing that because we're going to eat either way and we're going to pay the phone bill either way, so. Right. All right, I'm going to hop off. It was really good to meet everybody. And um, I'll tell you all about my, my cards, my secret card formulas next time. Sounds awesome. great, hey, man. See you later. Thanks for joining. All right, yeah, thanks, thank guys. You. I'm probably going to take off, too, if nobody else has anything. Yeah, I think I'm about ready to call up, too. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see you all in November, then. Yeah. Take now we can we can redo this same topic, then. Really yeah, I might it. narrow it down to a couple, because I had a long list. Okay. Yeah. Figure it out. Sounds good. Take care, everybody. I'll see you guys later. Yep, bye. Bye.